G'day and welcome to episode 83 here at the Pot of Blokes. Mr. Jamison, greetings we're, and salutations. Since we're, we're, we're sneaking towards that year of yeah, birth I know, year, actually. I know. Actually, we've got, an, we've actually got an exciting announcement to make right from the get-go. Here we go. The Bloke Pod on tour. Uh, yes, that's right. Coming soon to a city near you, if you happen to live in Melbourne. That's <laughs> it's right. a one-city tour. <laughs> roll up, yeah. roll up. <laughs> and then roll out. Yeah, that's right. And the good news for me is that uh, this is a trip not based around a cricket game for once, because my uh, two yeah. previous uh, trips, which were Lord's Test two years ago and the Boxing Day Test Five years ago. <laughs> no, they really ended too well for me. So hopefully yes, that's not a sign that uh, Hawthorne are going to get shat upon by Port Adelaide on the Friday night just yeah, to so keep that trend alive. There'll be a, there'll be a bit of... Uh, a bit of oh, I'm sure we'll put something together. There'll be, I, I suspect there'll be sunny a, Melbourne. A, yeah, a thing or two. Maybe even on the plane flight there could be some activity <laughs> maybe. But, there you uh, go. A um, mile high podcast. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that's not just because of our marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Yes. Yes. So GJ is he's looking pretty uh, smudge and self satisfied right now because uh, Hawthorne handed his West Coast team a top two finish last night by oh. uh, going down to Richmond. No, look, I'm still. So, uh, right. I, can we, I'll, I'll talk briefly about the Eagles. I don't think that there's mu- there's other things I think that are much more worthy of our time at this particular point. But just quietly, Adam Simpson, who I've been a big fan of, as yeah. you well know, he's done a tremendous job this year. We were talking. He seriously should win Coach of oh, the Year. It, you took the words out of my mouth. He is Coach of the Year this season. Um, with apologies to Luke Beveridge, I might yeah, say. Yeah, who deserves it? And yeah. probably also Alan Richardson deserves a little bit. Yeah. Of, but, um, but he is coach of the year for me by a country mile. What he has done with that team, I mean, I haven't been watching football sort of, I guess, other than more of a sort of passing interest, probably sort of 2004, I'd say, mm-hmm. when I really started getting into it. Well, I've been um, watching that, since about 81. Yeah, okay, yeah. You've yeah. got me anyway, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And not, um, yeah, my earliest yeah. memories of games were 1981. Yeah. Apparently, I went to games earlier than that, but... Yeah, but um, as far as, as coaching goes, Clarko in 2008 is the probably the only one that comes anywhere near what he has done with this side this year. Taking them mm. from not playing finals last year... To they, as we sit here right now, the West Coast Eagles are a genuine premiership contender in season 2015. No, I'm not. That's, no, I'm sorry, I'm but not that's, a, that. that's a fact. When you finish second on the ladder, you have beaten, you know, other teams like Collingwood in Victoria, you know, Port Adelaide in Adelaide. They've beaten Sydney now. They've still got Hawthorne and Freo over the next two weeks, so we'll find out what's happening there. But as things stand, with the number of games they've lost this year and with their percentage, and throw in the fact that they will potentially have two home finals at Subi Oval, the West Coast Eagles are genuinely a chance to win the flag this year. I don't think they will, but they are in the mix. I'm honest. I I have them fourth favourites at the moment. I think Hawthorne is still the favourites. 
I think Fremantle are currently... Well, I mean, well first of all, Fremantle are on top, so everybody's got to, to catch yeah. them. But also, at the same time, I, I actually think that Freo are in a, in a heavy load with a view to tapered before finals. So I think that we'll see the best of Fremantle in the finals. Mm. Um, and I, you know, even based on last night's results, I've, I've been saying this for a while... The team that's got the best mix to combat both of those teams, funnily enough, have played them both in the last couple mm. of weeks, is Richmond. Yeah. Richmond have the explosive midfield, they have the key, the, you know, the power key position defender, and they have the power key position forward. Who will critical accurately as Critical well. <laughs> components in building a premiership squad. Mm. My concern about Richmond is probably 17 through 22 on their list. They're not that strong there. But they absolutely have the top yeah. end talent, and the fact is, we were saying before that I, this year they've. And I think the, I put the, sorry just to finish yeah. that thought. I put the Eagles below them because I think that the only way that the West Coast Eagles can win a premiership this year is if Nick Natanui plays out of his skin three games in a row. Mm. Now, that's and, por- and potentially Josh Kennedy that steps up and kicks it back. That's plausible. It's yeah. plausible that Natanui does that, but finals time. You know, big guys tend to get neutralised a bit more mm. because you're not you're not beating up on the Rory Wobbs and the uh, Tom Campbells and yeah, the Thomas Downies, and, these types of yeah. guys who are young and inexperienced and immature, or in Essendon's case, nobody. Yeah. <laughs> well, until this week when I actually needed Sean McKernan on my bench, yeah. Suddenly, so, I mean. but I, I will say but, this: I mean, we were talking before about Richmond. Yeah, they have dismantled Fremantle at Subiaco Oval with yep. the first quarter, which is still the best quarter of football I've seen the team play this year. No, Fremantle they, round three in the Western. Okay, I didn't actually watch that one. That, but, was, um, that was absolutely clinical mm. stuff. But so, so they've done that. They've dismantled Freo at Subi Oval. They have blown Sydney off the park in a half of football, <coughs> and they've beaten Hawthorne. Like, that's the big three right there. They've yeah. done it. So... They struggled. I mean, yeah. They struggled yeah. against us. We, I think, we caught, we ambushed them a little bit. Mm. So, so but, the uh, the old theory about and, and um, with Fremantle, the the one poor Bashahuli decision away from mm. from winning that game uh, and the, for a, so beating them for a second time. Yeah, yeah. But that one is the old uh, yeah the the misguided notion that uh, teams coming off the bye are are good. And rested. I actually yeah. disagree with that. We've well, seen it time and again that teams actually thing, take a little while to cons- sort of warm yeah. back up. Well, I mean, I, I thought that that was actually being being compensated by the fact that the Eagles were travelling off a six-day break. Mm. But the, the Eagles have played two games since Richmond yeah. had last played one. That's so, right. Yeah. But, I mean, getting back to the Eagles, the, the simple fact right now is that because of the, the interstate factor as well, it is... Very easy to see a Western Derby Grand Final because the yeah. fact is West Coast and Fremantle will finish one and two, and they will get to play a home so, final in week one. If they win at home, which yeah. as a team the playing only, in WA is easy to do, they'll get a week off and then have a home prelim final. The flying Euroid maneuvers, man, irrespective of whether you're playing at home or not, everybody knows that first week's critical. I hate to be playing Hawthorne in that first week. They will just throw absolutely everything at whoever yeah. they're playing and probably beat them. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's the way the that and the way, and the way that the ladder's going to fall, that's going to be the Eagles. And I think that Sydney are a good matchup for us. Fremantle are an okay matchup for us. Hawthorne are a bad matchup for mm. us. 
Yeah. And we'll see that in the next couple of weeks, is that we might not beat Fremantle, but we'll probably push them very hard. I think Hawthorne will absolutely tower us. I'm expecting a six or seven goal win mm. for Hawthorne. Yeah. Well, it's fair to say that your uh, predictions of West Coast losses this year haven't been too accurate. I'm thinking uh, Man, I'd love Geelong, to be... I'm thinking Richmond, I'd love I'm to... thinking GWS. I'd love to be wrong, but <laughs> I, I'm, I've... If you were telling... I'd be going Hawthorne Frio grand final right now. Yeah. I think that they're the two teams most likely to win week one based on matchups. Yeah. yeah. So and it's such an advantage winning that first week. Yeah. But I mean, let, let's setting all that aside for a, a, a second. I guess what we're saying is is that a team who lost hands down their best player before this and most important player before the season started, yep. and who didn't make the finals last year. They are, yeah, you know, in the mix. Prelim final, you know, yeah. pretty much they should definitely make a prelim final this year, I'd say. Yeah. So a massive it's hats a lot, off and salute I think to Adam it, Simpson it's, it's for a, what he's done. It's, it's a lot like 2011 was, but I think this is more sustainable than 2011, mm. which, was, which was a draw-driven dead cat bounce situation. Yeah. We were clearly the fourth best team in the league that year. We finished two and a half games ahead of the team that finished fifth, but we were clearly a level below the other three. Well, the fact is right now, as things currently stand, West Coast are on the verge of becoming just the third team in history to finish top two for defence and attack. And the previous two teams that did it were Geelong and Collingwood in the same season. Mm. So as things stand, they are, I think they're, they're... I think they're second for attack and second for yeah. defence at the moment. So second to Fremantle for defence and second to Hawthorne for attack. Yeah. So again, like you just you look at what he's been able to achieve with, I, and, with the players that yeah, he has and, out there. And the other thing is remarkable. the the other thing is that uh, full credit to him for showing some balls and actually learning something about his team. That free I, I talked about the Frio game. Is a big part of the reason why the Eagles have had such a, a run of success over the past few weeks is because of that Fremantle game. Is that when things were going against him, he just went, you know what? I'm going to try a few things. I'm going to bring Yo into the midfield, and I'm going to throw Wellingham back. And both of those, both of those decisions have been significant catalysts in their performance to this point in time. Wellingham has been a revelation down back. He's got clean hands, he likes to run with the ball, and he's not afraid to fly for his marks, which is perfect given the defensive structure that the Eagles are running with. And Yo is this big-bodied attacking midfielder that we've lacked for so mm. long. Well, we've had it. We've had one in Shuey, but everybody would tag oh, Shuey. Big body, though? Shuey's well, Shuey's not <laughs> tall, but he's actually mm. quite well-built. He's strong mm. enough to break tackles. Okay. Yeah. So I, I consider that, that he's mm. big enough from, from that context. And that's one of the most important things is when you lose like what you learn from it yeah. and what you can take from it to improve. And he's, uh, just, at, just at games is that you can see that he has a clear plan. Uh, yeah, I, I was. I mean, look, and to be perfectly honest, if I'm Carlton or I'm Adelaide right now, I'm getting on the phone and doing everything I can to get Brendan Bolton over there because you mentioned Luke Beveridge as well as, as another strong candidate. Shock horror, he's from the Alex, Alistair Clarkson coaching tree. Mm. So yeah. I tell you what, you know, Simo's from there as well. There's some pretty strong fruit growing off that tree. You might want to take a bite. Yeah, and well, I mean, it's 
in many ways, it's almost the, the legacy of Phil Walsh as well in, yeah. in many respects because it was, um, well, you had Choco Williams, um, mm. Phil Walsh and Alistair Clarkson That's right. all, yeah. t- all working together at one stage. We, we haven't really talked. I don't think we've talked about Phil Walsh. No. We, we haven't done a recording since then. I mean, that's just mm. a, oh, a... It was... The, um, I, of course, you know, being an Eagles member, I was at the Adelaide game, and it was a, it was a really eerie night. Like, nobody mm. really knew... I mean, there were certain things that you just knew what to do. It, and yeah. as a decent human being, I mean, first off, hands, you know, uh, you know, Adelaide deserves so much respect for, for, for actually being able to play out the rest of the year. And, uh, you know... We we sit right near the opposition race, and to a person, everybody stood up and applauded them as mm. they came onto the ground. And that was it was that respect for them, knowing that they're hurting, knowing what they're going through, mm. but being able to do that. But the game itself, the crowd was very quiet because they didn't really want. Didn't, yeah, it you was, didn't want to get on your opponent's backs. It wasn't. Yeah. It, Cheer for, and heckle for, and yeah, well, that was exactly like right. That. Yeah, for that very reason, it was a really you almost didn't want them to lose at the same yeah. time that you wanted the Eagles. Well, that to was win. right. And, and funnily <laughs> enough, they actually played really well. They're probably the only team that's had significant success in breaking down the Eagles for for a good few weeks now. The problem mm. that they had was they just didn't have the offensive firepower to be able to get the ball in there enough yeah. to do damage. But um, and you yeah, seeing uh, you know seeing the emotion, and I mean look. Patrick Dangerfield was was phenomenal that night. Yeah, he really was. It's it. It was one of those games that you you'll forget about in four or five months. But and seeing him and just seeing him at the end of the game, mm. breaking down in emotion. And the other thing that I really liked was seeing um, Luke Shuey and Nick Nananui both went out of their way to go over and console him before. Yeah, the other thing happened because they could clearly see that he was hurting, and he meant so much to him. Yeah, look, I think someone. He, I mean, he's not the captain, but he's no. he's or more. He's almost a pseudo captain yeah. of that. That that's right. Ways. He's such. An there, I hate leader the phrase "spiritual leader," but that's yeah. pretty much what he is there. Yeah. And um, look, if he if he chooses to leave Adelaide, and you know, the whole Phil Walsh thing tips it. Tips both extremes, I think. Here mm. is that he he might feel obligated to stay in Adelaide because of the Phil Walsh situation, yeah. but it might also be the thing that makes him realise, look, you know, family is pretty bloody important yeah. to me, yeah. and and I don't think that it, uh, and you know, I think if if I'm an Adelaide supporter, I'm not. I know a couple, and I've actually spoken to one about this. I said, you know, what? Well, how would you feel now, given everything that's gone on, if Dangerfield left? And they, you know, their response to me was. We know he loves his club. If he chose to leave, we'd completely understand. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, when we when you first started talking about this, I was just going to say, you know, we sit here and we talk and rant and rave about football and, you know, ads that we don't like and songs we don't like and all these yeah. other things. It's, it's when you get news like this, like as I was walking into work that day, one of the girls said, how are you, Dan? I was like, um, I'm not sure. Actually, she was yeah. like, "What's happening?" I was like, "Oh, I'm just like really shaken by the Phil Walsh news. It just it yeah. shakes you to your core when these guys well, who you talk about as uh, you know in life or death terms about making fantasy captain and yeah. what a good or bad job they're doing and all that other stuff when they're suddenly no longer on this planet. It, yeah, it, and it really I mean, puts things into perspective. I think there's there's two things that I'll, I'll say about that. I actually got informed by our South African correspondent. Yeah. I was sitting at a desk and he said. So what's your take on the, the Adelaide um, coach situation? 
So what are you talking he about? He said the Adelaide boss. <laughs> yeah. Didn't he? Yeah, oh, he said Adelaide, Adelaide boss, boss. Yeah. yeah. He said, what's your take on that? And I said, um, what, is there something going on? He mm. says, yeah, he's dead. And then one of the other girls that worked popped in and said, yeah, and they think his son killed him. Mm. And I was like, what? Yeah. I, um, and yeah, I was, I, I literally, and then I, I bought up AFL.com and sure enough, that's the lead article there. Yeah. He's I don't think I spoke for... I was just numb for, for a good half an hour. The second thing was we went to... Obviously, we went to the Frio game that week. The Brisbane... Yeah, the Frio Brisbane, Brisbane game. Yep. Something you yep. probably... I don't know if you noticed or not when you were sitting next to me. When, when we were standing up, I was shaking. For the one-minute mm. silence, I was shaking. And, uh, and I had to step... Uh, yeah, I, had science, to, yeah. I actually had to step back a couple of times and lean against the chair because I felt like I was going to fall over mm. just from... And these the, are two teams, so you don't uh, two even teams, fire, you know, two neutral teams, and, game. It's, and, you know, just the stark real... It was, it was really that moment that solidified what had actually happened. And mm. this is like two days on. Yeah. Um, well, he's the first ever... AFL coach to pass away while in the position. Yeah. And so it's the first time yeah. it's ever happened and that a current coach yeah. has passed and that away. Was, as I said, that was the moment when it finally sunk in and I was just like, holy shit. Mm. Um, I mean, it's not... I sort of drew comparisons with the Phil Hughes one. I think the Phil yeah. Hughes one was different for me, well, partly because it's cricket, which mm. means, you know, the, the world to me, basically. Yeah. But but also for Phil Hughes is because he obviously plays for the team I follow. You know, we've tracked his career personally over the years. Mm. With with Phil Walsh, it was more actually I sort of sat down that day and actually, you know, looked back over his career and, you know, researched him and found out about him a bit more. Yeah. So I didn't have well, that I mean, personal yeah. connection I mean, I, with I, him. I knew of his which, career. Which I, I knew his more. career very well. And, yeah. of course, he was – I talked about the – 2011, he was considered the driving force of the Eagles coaching squad that year that got them to that point. Mm. And, I mean, that was the thing. That part of the thing that kind of uh, annoyed me a little bit was the media rhetoric around how, you know, Adelaide and Port had to cope with that when he'd been at the Eagles for five yeah. years. And yeah. a lot of the young kids, you know, the Darlings, the Shoeys, the yeah. Gaffs of the world... Um, you know, Nick, he was a really important. He was a really well, figure when, in their development. When Luke Shuey's sister passed away, um, apparently Phil Walsh was the guy who was who was the consoling figure mm. for him, and and was, that was that was what struck me most when I sort of went through and read about him was just what a a thoroughly hardworking, genuine, decent person he seemed to be. Now he yeah. had that near-death experience where he'd been hit by a bus, I think, in yeah. Thailand um, from memory, and he'd mm. made a few changes after that. But even just re- uh, reading Jared Waitley talking about him, mm. he was saying when he got coached, he said the thing he was most worried about was his man management. Mm. So unbeknownst to anyone else, not something that he sort of talked up, the first thing he did was was book himself uh, into a, a training course specifically for that. Mm to try and improve himself on that. So someone who just had that that constant desire to be better and to improve and develop and and I guess strove to have his players do that do that same thing, you know? Someone who just gen, genuinely wanted the best for mm. his for his team, not only as players but as human beings. 
Yeah. And yeah, so it was in- I- incredibly sad. And I'm not someone who think- sort of gets emotional no. about a lot of things, but. I, like I was I was sort of yeah, and I mean, as I said, me. I was really, really sad because I knew his history quite well, particularly with you know the club that I love, the West Coast mm. Eagles. But you know, just some of the other things you see, like the tweet that, uh, not the tweet, the text message that Kane Corns got when he announced his retirement that Phil Walsh had sent yeah. him, and Kane, you know, tweeting that out saying I'm never going to delete this message, mm. just stuff like that, shows you that he had such a profound impact on. It's oh. little things like that, like in the world of professional sport in particular, that show the difference between the genuinely, you know, we we use the term he's a good bloke yeah. in Australia. That's pretty much, there is no higher praise, I think, mm. <laughs> in Australia than to call someone, you know, a good bloke, a thoroughly decent bloke. Yeah. But there are little, you know, examples of that where even though you're on opposing teams and, you know, you're competing against each other and all that sort of thing, just that ability to take a step back and and consider the I guess the human side of things rather than the opponent you know yeah the the telling sign with this opponents. stuff is always how quickly things happen the platitudes all of these things were almost immediate mm. with him uh, well you know realistically immediate because obviously people have to go through the this whole coping and grieving stage yeah. it's like what is this like real mm. Um, and a lot of the time it also becomes a... And like, obviously, every single club official spokesman and official Twitter um, thing and that will all yeah. post the virtually the exact same messages, condolences to family and all yeah. that. It's less about, it's I guess, actually, the making, keeping And I think you actually make a really good point with that is is that when you're actually looking at the messages, how unique and tailored they were, mm. which is which just shows that you've, you've truly touched people. Yeah. And look, I actually also want to congratulate Geelong. I thought that their their actions, given the situation, given yeah. that Adelaide were due to play them in, in you know, less than 48 hours, yeah. I thought it was actually absolutely brilliant that they said, look, you know what? This is bigger than football. We'll, we're quite happy to just not play this weekend. And we actually, I will actually say too, we... We give the AFL a lot of criticism, and most of Absolutely. it is thoroughly deserved. But yeah. I, they actually handled this extremely well. Because I remember and on the morning of that Friday, yeah. I sent an email around to you and a few yes. other guys saying, we, we need leadership here from the AFL. They have to do the right thing here. And, uh, if the BCCI can delay a match due to yeah. Phil Hughes' death, then the AFL should be able to do the and same I, here. And I honestly and, believe that... Rightly or wrongly, I honestly believe if the round hadn't started the night before, the yeah. entire round would have been called off. Yeah. Um, and, well, full credit also to, to Alistair Clarkson and Nathan and Bucks, Buckley yeah. for their, and, and Pendlebury and Hodge as well as captains of those clubs yeah. for what they started, which mm. was just... It that was, was almost it the put-out-your-bats yeah, equivalent exactly. um, it was, for the for that, It was for gripping, and it was sensational. And having experienced it twice at games... And I'll tell you this, we watched that game at the sports bar in upstairs at the casino in Perth, yep. and to a man, when they did that, on the screen, so we couldn't even yeah. see him, every single person in the sports bar burst into applause yeah. when they did that. So, so, you know, we were not even there, you know, they wouldn't have heard it or anything like that. Yeah. But it was just such a perfect, yeah, tribute. And, yeah, top yeah. marks them for that. 
That's right. I just thought it was it, that was a really nice touch, and um, it's yeah. Oh look, it's, it's horrendous. It's a horrendous thing. It's just something that I, I mean, I, I hate to say this in this particular way, but I'm I'm fortunate that on a on a personal level that I've never had to closely have mm. somebody very close to me in in a similar situation. Unfortunately, stuff like this happens far too often, mm. um, at least for my liking. And, um, you know, I, I feel for all of his family, including his son, yeah. over this situation because his son's got to live with that for the rest of his life yeah. as well. Um, and, I mean, I think straight away he's obviously a deeply troubled to person. His, yeah. for, you and know, to, we don't know the backstory and the no, specifics. That, that's of exactly it. right. And yeah. to his wife and, and particularly to his daughter who was so strong at the showdown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I sincerely wish them and hope for the best for, for them moving forward. Yeah. So, yes, and I don't think um, that he will be somebody who will be very quickly forgotten. I'm no, like a lot and of I mean, naming the, the um, at, award. And I, that's fantastic, yeah. fantastic touch, really that, good too. Thing. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, the Phil Hughes comparison is a very apt one. I think that it's AFL's version of the Phil Hughes situation. Mm. The, only, uh, the only slight difference is obviously cricket uni- unites everyone in, in yeah. cheering for that national team. The yeah. AFL is slightly different than that because it's so but it reached, But them, the thing but was it reached across yeah. that. Yeah. Even for that, it was a short period of time, admittedly, but it reached across all of that mm. and, yeah. So, yes, RIP to the two Phil's. Yes. Both, both very sadly missed, unfortunately. Particularly, uh, and, and, you know, uh, I'm, it's probably a good segue to talk about the death of Australian cricket at the, at, at the hands of, believe it or not. How the hell, I mean, in hindsight, we're a, we're a second gamer away from being rolled in two days. Yeah, it's... Um it's. Is there any danger of a team actually hanging on to momentum in this series? <laughs> I mean, four hundred and five yeah. runs. I think was England's. I think it was yeah. their fourth, fourth biggest, biggest ever defeat, defeat in yeah. terms of runs. Yeah. Um, and then a week later, they came within basically one lower order partnership of inflicting Australia's first two day loss in a Test match since I think eighteen ninety two or mm. or something ridiculous like that. I'd I'd read. Um, but I think there are actually some people look at that form line and think, wow, that's really surprise, surprising and fluctuating. For me, it, it actually makes perfect sense because before this test I said, there were so many bad aspects of how we played in that second test. But what's happening at the moment is that the runs of Steve Smith and to a lesser extent the wickets of Mitchell Johnson in that match papered over all the other cracks and all the other inadequacies and also, sorry, the runs of Chris Rogers as mm. well. And I think that's the reason England were able to turn it around so quickly is because it wasn't a dominant team performance where we were on top. It was a dominant performance from our key individuals yeah. while, while the rest were still performing very, well, you know, very poorly. I mean, we, we had certainly exchanged a lot of emails before this series started. We didn't get a chance to doing a prediction recording, but mm. we were both very bullish on England. 
Yeah. For the record. So I think um, before, and, before one, the, and certainly yeah. one of the things that I said about England, and you, I know that you agreed with me on this, was I said my I had significant concerns about the top and middle order when the ball was swinging. There'd yeah. be a point where we would be four for about thirty. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it it all kind of happened in this last test. Yeah. It did, and I mean the. I think yeah, the only evidence we've got of our predictions is the. Uh, I think I tweeted something 24 hours to go and I'm becoming yes. increasingly confident that we're going to get wiped like a dirty ass. <laughs> um, and then also, well, I've, I've got a reasonable amount of money on England to re- regain the ashes at the ridiculous odds of $4.35, which is yeah. looking pretty good right now, I have to say. Um, and I but, think I I was dismayed at uh, those odds when you told me. Yeah. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Well, I'm actually a bit annoyed because I put that bet on about a week out from the series. Yeah. Dave Archer got on them the night before at fives. Oh. England, they got out to. So, um, but I just think there's there's so many issues right now. I mean, Michael Clark doesn't look like he can bat for an hour, let alone for a day. And having Interesting, Clark, him, interestingly, uh, him coming out criticising his own performance as he should. Yeah, but, well, it doesn't really help us much, no. though, does it? So well, least, he, uh, he doesn't have his head in the sand about it, at least. But yeah. I think Clark there, and I said before the second test to, um, to Nath, the one thing I don't like at the moment is that we've got Voges, Marsh and Neville coming in one after the other in the batting yeah. order. I think... At the time, between the three of them, they had played six tests, mm. I believe it was. Like, that's just such a, a a brittle middle order there that, sure, you know, if if we're on top and we're winning, then Mitch Marsh can come out and smack a few sixes around, and Neville's batting seems quite, quite good as Neville's well. Neville's a very organised cricketer. I, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I would have, you know, they, they've kind of had two choices with that position, and... I don't. I don't know my Neville, but I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Sam Whiteman. Mm. Um, but Neville will Neville will be a nice bridge between the two, I think, for the next three or four years. Mm. Um, he certainly, you know, he certainly made runs in in the Sheffield Shield, so you can't dispute that. And yeah. I think he was it's just a, that inexperienced and, thing. And I mean, look, he. I think he proved himself. He dug in when everybody else was faltering. Mm. Um, on day two, and uh, his keeping's also been quite faultless as yeah, well. So I mean, uh, the thing about Haddon is, I mean, his keeping has hasn't deteriorated completely, but for me, it's, it's just his batting. He's yeah. he's reached that tipping point where he's now just officially quote unquote past it. And I mean, this is the, the thing is, is that we've had Ryan and Ryan Harris retire at the start of the series. Mm. I think. She, I think as we know, Rogers is retiring at the end of this series. Although I suspect the way he's going, he might rethink really that. I mean, he's been he's been the beacon, yeah. I think, throughout oh, all Ian of this. Smith, yes, yeah. Um, I think Clark's. This might be Clark's well, I last thought, series. I thought if Clark won, he would definitely retire. I think that I think that Clark signing to be the captain of the Melbourne Stars tells tells you a lot more than you realise mm. reading between the lines. I think this is Clark's last series. Yeah. I think it's probably Haddon's last series, and I think it's going to be very, very difficult for Shane Watson yep. to get back into the team. Yep. So you've there's that generational change, which you know yeah. when it happens, like when we saw and, Chapel and Marsh and Lewis we'll, at the same and, time at and, the end of a series, it's and probably hard. number six Adam Voges will will, not, will never yeah, play yeah. another Test match. Yeah. So it's hard when this sort of happens. We saw with yeah Chapel, Lily, and Marsh. 
Yeah. It's hard when it happens at the end of a series, sort of at uh, all right, clean slate from here. But it seems like it, it's happening during this series. I mean, yeah. Haddon obviously after the first test, pulling out for personal reasons, probably won't play again. Watson getting dropped, Rhino not even making it onto the park. Yeah. It's it, it's sort of been like this was our this group's sort of last chance, one final push together yeah. to win the Ashes, you know, for the first time in, in 14 years over there. And the, this is potentially going to be the first time we've lost four away Ashes series in a row since mm. our first six trips over there back at the end of the 19th century. Mm. But it's almost like they haven't, they just haven't quite made it to the finish line and now mm. everything's starting to fall apart. So what... In terms I mean, of hope in, in, the hi- of the in hindsight, the West Indies series was a bad call. But anyway, of course it fucking was. Yeah. Two test series should be outlawed against any but, opponent uh, in any situation. It shouldn't be allowed to happen. But anyway, that's a side issue. The hope from here, there's not a great amount, but mm. the simple fact is that Steve Smith on his own can just about win us a test in the kind of form he's been in. Same can be said for Mitchell Johnson if everything clicks into gear. Yeah. I think Nathan Lyon has performed exceptionally yeah. well throughout the series as well. I would agree with that, actually. Um, He's been solid. Yep. I think, I, think, I think Warner and Rogers have both been pretty good. Warner obviously has thrown it away a couple of times. But in terms of you know prospects for the next two tests, mm. that you wouldn't put an, a red X against them. No. The biggest problems we have right now... Well, there's there's three of them. One is disappointing. Two of them we sort of expected. I'll start with a disappointing one. Josh Hazelwood. Yeah. He was woeful who who in this I'm, test who match. Who I'm actually a big rap for. I, I am. Mm. I'm a big fan of his. And I actually thought before the start of the series, this could be his um, West Indies 95 Glenn McGrath uh, type mm. series. Because everyone makes these Glenn McGrath-type comparisons with him. Well, let's have a look at McGrath's record in England, you know. Mm. This is, these are the perfect conditions for him where he'll frequently be getting to bowl with a new ball that's swinging on green, juicy pickets, uh, wickets with overcast skies, you know, all the tick, 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 all those boxes. And he just, he just hasn't quite hit his lines. Can, can I defend him a little bit? Yep. I think the pressure's been wet off at the other end. All right, so which brings me to the second point, <laughs> and this is the one that we knew was coming. Mitchell Stark should not be picked in red ball cricket for Australia. Done. Dusted. Right now, I will say, hand on heart, he is the best limited overs bowler in the world. That doesn't mean a fucking thing for test match cricket. And the selectors need to realise that right now. Mm. He does not know how to bowl with a red ball. He it's, bowls, it's that simple. To quote the Barbie <laughs> Army, he bowls to the left, he bowls to the right. Yeah. Oh, Mitchell, your bowling is shite. It really is. And I thought before the series, when we had potentially Hazelwood, Harris, Johnson, Stark, and everyone was talking about who do we drop, Stark I had always said Stark should not be in there. Mm. And he just... He just... I don't understand it. Be careful. Like, Mike, Alyssa's, Alyssa's working Twitter. My comments right now... His entire career can be summed up with the... I see a red ball and I want to turn it white. I do not understand how someone who is so devastating... And just so unplayable... 
in limited overs cricket why he can't just do the same fucking thing in test cricket. Now, granted, you've got some sort of, you know, additional field protections and those sorts of things in one-day cricket. All you have to do is then set the same fields. Mm. You just have to bowl the same way that you have had success in one-day cricket. And you know what that means? Hitting the stumps, Mitchell! Hitting the fucking stumps! Not just that, maybe bowling it within a A metre of them! Would be a good start. Two metres was too much to ask for for a lot of this test match. But attack the stumps! Swing the ball in, pitch it up, and attack the stumps! It was how you blew away all and sundry throughout the World Cup. You were man of the series in the World Cup. No batsman you, you nearly, could withstand you. You nearly won an unwinnable, the unwinnable game. game in New Zealand. Now, why, Mitchell? Why on earth would you think you need to bowl any differently in Test match cricket? And more importantly, with the thousands of backroom staff, coaches, support personnel, drink runners, all the other resources in the world. Why has no one been telling him this? Well, what the same, are they getting paid for? For the same reason nobody's been telling Shane Watson for three <laughs> years to hit the ball instead of letting it hit his pads. <laughs> but see, that that's more a technical shortcoming. This, Mitch, he clearly knows how to do it. Because he does it all the time, at will, if he's wearing a yellow shirt and bowling with a white ball. Suddenly when he's wearing a white shirt bowling with a red ball... It's more he chooses not to bowl the same way. Now, obviously, for me, this comes down to yeah, to leadership and the the personnel that we have in place. Michael Clark, if he needs a couple of extra fieldsmen on the leg side in order to feel comfortable bowling that way, then give them to him. Darren Lehman and Craig McDermott and those sorts of guys. You should be telling him and coaching him that this is the way we want you to bowl. He just seems to have no plan in test cricket. Mm. No plan of attack. No course of action. No, this is what I'm doing out here and I know this is what I'm doing. And that's less on him and more on you guys. For fuck's sake, if we've got that many people in the, you know, the, the support personnel, why can't we get this right? It's so easy to do. <sighs> Anyway, I've sort of worked myself up into a lather here. but yeah, And you're absolutely right. He, in many respects, is responsible for Hazelwood's um, malaise over this test match. And we used to see that with Mitchell Johnson all the time as well. Mm. Yeah. Having one bowler leaking runs, it is impossible, more than anyone else from 1 to 11, to carry a misfiring opening bowler mm. in a test match. You just can't cover for them. Yeah. You can't do it. If it's a weak player in the batting order, well, numbers 1 through 11 all bat. They all bat, so someone else can step up and make some runs. But taking wickets with the new ball, you're picking basically three guys who are capable of doing that. Well, generally, you're actually normally picking two, if if we're being honest. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Three, perhaps at most, two, more realistically. So if one of them doesn't get it done, it's impossible to carry them. But that brings me to a second point. Why, oh why, is Jackson Bird not in this squad? The selection of Patrick Cummins as Ryan Harris's replacement is up there with Glenn Maxwell batting at three as the worst selection I have seen in all my years of following the, uh, cricket. The reverse shot, Glenn Maxwell. Uh, <laughs> the 
the dope shows I just call them, or uh, the noise shows you I, call them. Yeah, I, I should put that link up. Did you actually look at the shot that he was? That he's I, I couldn't bring practicing. myself to do it at work because I knew I'd get too angry. Yeah. But let's just say yeah, we'll post that on let's, Twitter. Let's put it this way: he's practicing a shot where he's hitting the ball that is a foot outside his leg stump. And he's basically hitting it in a way where all he would be doing is spooning it straight down mid-wicket's throat. Why? Right. Why are you practicing a shot you would never play? Okay, we're getting off topic here. <laughs> that's, a, that's a topic for a separate discussion. It's a fair question to ask, it is. though, isn't it? All right, it? but I'm going to come back to my question. Patrick Cummins, he's played one test. One his last first class match was that test, I believe. Was it was no, it was two years ago. Two, years, two ago. years since he's played a first class match, and when our number one bowler breaks down, this is the guy you pick to replace him. If you had picked him as the fifth or sixth bowler in the original squad, saying we want you to come on this series to be around the team and to pick up as much as you can, that's one thing. But to actually say. The replacement bowler who will realistically perhaps need to play in this series is Pat Cummins. That's ridiculous. Mm. And it means now, if we did choose to drop Mitchell Stark, there is no alternative to Peter Siddle. The only option in there is Peter Siddle. Why is Jackson Bird not in this squad? He is over there playing county cricket. He bowls line and length, stump to stump, consistent you know, outside off stump. He bowls that just consistent, good, controlled line and length that succeeds in English conditions and that we are crying out for right now in the absence of Ryan Harris. Why is he not even in the squad? Or, or failing him, James Pattinson, who's probably the closest thing we have to a Harris type But see, bowler. he's more... There's more injury concerns and other issues with him. For me, it's more that... Jackson Bird's over there. He's playing yeah. right now. He's playing county cricket. So the whole, oh, can he get through a match? Oh, yeah, because Patrick Cummins hasn't done that in two years. Jackson Bird hasn't done it in, like, two days. He's over there playing first-class cricket now. You know he's ready. He's good to go. Can't even get into the squad. It just makes no sense to me. And that is why one of the reasons why I think we're in so much trouble right now is because there's, there's no... Like, there's no backup plan. There's nothing we can do, you know. Whatever happens here, these guys are probably going to have to still be bowling for us in the next two tests. We can't drop them. And that brings me to my th- our third problem overall. So we've had Hazelwood, we've had Stark, and this one is just very simple. Runs from four through six. Yep. Yep. That's a huge problem. Yeah. Well, and once what, did again, I, what, did I, what did I tweet at the end of the first innings? That I think it was that Rogers and Smith had outscored yeah. the entire rest, the rest of, the, of team. the team. I think it was 726 to 713. And that, that takes into account an 80 odd that Dave Warner made when he was dropped on zero. Yeah. A relatively right. simple chance, you could well say. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, we just. The three of them together. I mean, Marsh, it's, it's a bit harsh on Marsh, but as I say, yeah. it's more a function of having him at the end of that mm. sort of Clark and Voges. See, Clark and Voges are the real problem. Yeah, I And was having go- them back to back with then Marsh in his third they've test got a, coming up. They've got to stick fat with Mitch Marsh no matter what here now. Yeah. I, I honestly believe that. I, I believe he'll just come good. He's just acclimatising to the heat. And also, just 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, you're right. But I mean, it, it was really interesting as I was uh, coming home last night. Um, Michael Vaughan was on the radio. Yep. And he was very, very critical of the Australian selection of the batting. He said, I don't know what, I don't know why. And I think we talked about this as well. Um, he said, not picking Mitch Marsh at the start was a huge mistake when he'd made runs and he was in form coming into it. He said, how could you not pick a guy? who was in that state, and bringing him in was a bit reactionary. Two tests in, yeah. And he also said, um, how the hell Sean Marsh isn't getting a game at the moment is ridiculous as well. And he said that, and to balance the issue that you've been talking about with regards to to 567 not having Mm. experience, he said, Sean Marsh should be in the team, he should be batting at four, and they should be putting Clark at five or Clark at six in order to protect the title a little bit more, to break it up. Yeah, I mean. So he in he, response to the first Mark, point. So Michael Vaughan agrees with uh, yeah. with what you've been saying. In response to the first point, I actually think dropping Shane Watson after one test was almost a worse decision than the fact that they picked him to play the first test. I think if yeah. you picked him for one test, then you had to give him at least two. And interestingly, they had an interview with Alan Border after the first test where he said the exact same thing. He said, when I first saw the result, I was just like, oh, that's it. You know, we've got to make wholesale changes. But then I stopped and thought about it some more. And I thought I would go with the same 11, but I would say to Shane Watson, mate, this is do or die. This is it for you right now. We need something from you in this match. Because I think it's fairer on him in terms of, Rather than giving him one match and dropping yeah. him, giving him that one more. But it's also fairer on Mitch Marsh in a way, because if you've hit two centuries in the warm-up matches, but you're not good enough to make the first test, then what? suddenly with the team 1-0 down, yeah. you know, in, in this moment of need, oh, then we're going to parachute you in. That's yeah. not fair on him. That's no, putting that's undue pressure on him. And Back was, him in from the start. And I mean, was it his... How could his form in the nets have been better than his form in the middle of the oval? That's what yeah. I'd like to know. And so that, I mean, that to me was just a, a little thing that says a lot about, you know, uncertainty and being reactionary and second-guessing ourselves with selection. Mm. I think that right there was the first example of that. Yeah. If you, if you were going to pick Mitch Marsh, you had to pick him from the start on the back of his form and everything else. If you were going to pick Watson, then you had to give him more than one test. You know, you can't yeah. pick someone for a first test and drop him. It, it, you, it's just not fair on anyone. Yeah. But yeah. For, the, for the second point then, this is, I mean, this is the problem we've had in Australia for, for so long now, for a decade, even more. We just don't have guys making runs. I think the most positive thing well, I saw... We have guys no. making runs in patches. We have guys yeah, like... Yeah. Clark had 12 months where everything he touched went to gold. Steve oh, no, I'm not talking about those guys. I'm talking about the shield level. Like oh, the replacements okay. guys yeah. coming through. I think the most positive news I heard this week with regards to Australian fr- cricket was the fact that um, Cameron Bancroft has hit 150 for Australia A against India A in an unofficial test over in India. Now, outscored, outscored the Indian team yeah. with a bloke by the name of mm, Virat Kohli playing yeah. for them. Now, I think 150 runs, that's exactly what you want to see in general. But in Indian conditions, 
Fuck, 150 off. runs was the series aggregate for a lot of the guys the last time we were over um, there. And more importantly, off 267 balls. Yeah. So it wasn't exactly like he was uh, swinging, to, swinging from the hips to yeah. 20 style. So that, for me, is the most promising thing because that's, that's just what we're missing at the moment. We don't have these guys coming through. When you think of all the guys like... Steven Nuto and Martin Love and, you know, to a lesser extent, Hayden and Hussey, who were late starters. Stuart Law. You know, Simon Kadich. As much as I hated him, Brad Hodge. Guys like that. All these guys just making consistent runs at Mm. first-class level. We just don't have those batsmen coming through Well, we do. the problem is for ages. The problem is is that the ones that we do have are in their mid to late 30s. That's why Adam Voges gets a debut as this... As uh, mm. at, yeah. at you know over thirty five, it's unfortunately why someone like Michael Klinger probably won't get a looking. Yeah, even and though the, he's been making runs for for years. And now. when you look at the at the end of the Shield season, you look at the best averages and the top run scorers. That's all they are. There's, no. I see you know names like Nick Maddinson, you know Bancroft's another one. Whiteman we've talked about before. You know there's a few green shoots but they're so few and far yeah. between for a country that has just always prided well, itself on its strength see, of batting. I think Nick I'm going to call you out on Nick Maddinson I think Nick Maddinson's more hype than he is anything else. I think that he's got he's he's certainly got the goods in terms of his technical capabilities mm. but he hasn't got the game between his ears. He needs he needs a Mike Hussey or a Justin Langer to to whip him into yeah. shape. He just doesn't have the mental game to succeed. What a lot of these guys the one, and I mean, look, the one who I have hope for, but unfortunately he always seems to keep getting injured as well, is Chris Lynn. Okay. He's one who I really, I, I quite like the look of. And the biggest reason why these guys aren't developing, it was simple, what these guys need, you talk about needing a Mike Hussey or Justin Langer, what they need is to go over and play county cricket in England during the off-season for a number of years. Mm. That's how you become a good batsman. Yeah. That's how countless guys have done it in the past. You continue to work on developing your first-class game. Mm. The problem is there's no room for that in the schedule anymore. They're not going to go over and do that because they'd rather be off earning a lifetime salary in a month in the IPL or playing mm. in the BBL or the Caribbean Premier League or whatever other fucking country Sri Lankan Premier, Premier League, League, you know. Zimbabwe. England are basically about to sell their soul and perhaps bring in four-day tests and do everything else in their power to come up with their own 2020 league. Well, that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, test cricket is still the ultimate for me. And I want to see a lot more evidence of guys out there working their asses off to develop their games in that format. Yep. And, and to put it into perspective, how many Australian cricketers at the moment would you feel confident could bat out an entire t- day of test cricket? You could count them on one hand, really. Yeah. I mean, Rogers is there. Yeah. Even Warner is iffy. But the thing about Warner is he, no. he'd do it well enough for a long enough period that it'd be okay See, and would, consistently enough I would I would like, definitely not say Warner yeah but the thing is he's he's you talk about him being feast or famine yeah his feasts come frequently enough that it's okay for him at the moment yeah. so when he's in that sort of form. I would definitely not say Warner I look there's the two guys who have done it very very yeah. recently in Rogers and Smith yeah um, but other than that beyond that yeah, and but I'd go one step further than that. I'd say 
How many guys are there in world cricket right now who you think could do that? And there really aren't that many. I mean, the South Africans oh, are top of this because... Three or four yeah, in South yeah, yeah, Duplessis, Amla and um, De Villiers certainly yeah. would all be in that category. But there's just not that just fundamental, you know, strong technique and good overall sound... Yeah, the sound fundamentals argument. Mm. We just don't see that with batting anymore. And the scary thing is... is I'm not sure we ever will again. I look at Chris Rogers and I think, I don't think we'll ever see a batsman like that prosper again. Not because they're not necessarily coming through, but because they're not getting the chance to. They won't get picked for their state and club size uh, because they can't bat fast and score quick runs. I think you actually named the guy, Cameron Bancroft. Yeah. And I hope that we continue to see this. And not only that, but I hope that Kids out there, right from the very beginning of their careers, they think, you know what? If I had to choose between... If I stand... I will sit here right now and I will tell you, if given... You know, if I was sort of in that realm as a sort of potential young batting uh, player for Australia, Mm. if I got to sit there and think, I could make $10 million in the IPL over the next five years, or... I could earn a baggy green playing for Australia. Mm. You pick the baggy green every time. I don't care how much money is involved. Like, that's what's important. That's what matters. That's what will be remembered. And look, that's why I ranted about the Glenn Maxwell thing. Yeah, exactly. That is a a symptom of the exact thing we're talking about here. And look, to Mitch Marsh's credit, he's turned his back on the IPL a couple of times now for this very reason. Mm. And that's what you want to see. You want to see them shunning that, going over and playing county, county cricket, working on their long-form game. And this is a serve to... It's not just the kids coming through who need to try and understand that, that test cricket is the ultimate, that five years from now, People won't remember who won the Big Bash League last year and that sort of thing. You know, they're instantly forgettable. A mm. hundred years from now, people will still be talking about the Bodyline series and the West Indies bowlers of the 70s and 80s and mm. the Steve Waugh-led Invincible side and all that. You know, Test cricket is what matters. It's what people remember. And all the every single person involved with cricket needs to have more of an emphasis on that. So administrators and organisers and that need to be embracing these players who are coming through. And even if they can't fucking hit 36 runs off and over, if they can bat all day and make 20 runs, then that's good. It's important to be nurturing that as a, you know, as a marketable talent as well, rather than just everything's about short-form cricket 2020. Because at the end of the day, that will generate all the money and advertising revenue and everything else in the world. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the way that Test Cricket does. That's my impassioned cry to arms. Couldn't agree with me more on that one. No, it's it's a very important point. Um, the, the kind of, unfortunately, the uh, the BPCCI loss. I'm, I'm really interested to see the Death of a Gentleman documentary, actually, which talks about um, the game. Mm. At, a, at a broader level in terms of its management. Um, given that uh, our boy Jared Kimber is one of the guys behind yeah. it, I think it will be very, very interesting to see. Yeah. But so in terms of this Ashes series, uh, I mean, look, I've got to be honest, I think my bet 
has won. Mm. The last team to come down from 2-1 down to win an Ashes series was actually the only team that ever came back from 2-0 down to win an Ashes series. And that was featured a bloke by the name of Bradman. Don Bradman yeah. as captain. And also, I mean, the 270 he made, that for me is arguably the greatest test innings of all time. And yeah, it's still the only example of a team coming back from 2-0 down mm. to win the series. I, I just can't see us doing it. The only way I think it can happen is basically win the toss, bat first, Steve Smith makes a big fuck-off double century, and then as we saw in that last test, not so much through brilliant bowling, but just through the fact that England have been in the field for the best part of two days, and the Australian bowlers have that massive score in the 600, five or six hundred behind them, we can just do enough to knock them over. But, I mean, that's... It's pretty much on Smith's bat that the series hinges. That's the only way I can see us getting in it. The way Johnson was looking yesterday, the way he was getting a bit uh, frazzled by the crowd and they were on him again, I don't think he's got the mental capacity to to click back into the the Mitchell Johnson moustache-touting speed demon of last series um, to bow us to victory. I obviously can't see Mitchell Stark doing it. Hazelwood is the other one, you know, if everything clicks into gear, maybe. But again, I mean, it's, you know, he's, I don't think he's, he's got that, he's at that stage of his career yet where he can yeah. sort of single-handedly turn a test match for I us. I mean, the, quest, the question I have is, does Jimmy Anderson being injured and probably out for the rest of the series have an impact on, I mean, in terms of what England are trying to do? You have to question that as well. Is this, my 4 for 30 concern was predicated pretty much on Anderson. Yeah being able to, to do what he did in the first innings of this yeah. match. I mean, Broad has bowled beautifully at times, absolutely oh. brilliant spells, but he hasn't sort of ripped through us the way he has in the past. I mean, I actually thought in the second test, I mean, he was their best bowler by yeah, a country Yeah, it wasn't even close. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't even close. There was a spell there where he was just bowling, you know, little leg cutters and variations and that, where he bowled brilliantly. But you're right, in terms of ripping through us with the new ball, it's not so much him, it's actually... The, the rejuvenated Stephen Finn, who, mm. I mean, wow, you talk about transformations. That was, that was unbelievable. And I think that, that right there, that's sort of what we need Josh Hazelwood to do in one of the, the next two tests for us to have a chance. Mm. I mean, that was, when you look back at the guy who kept running into the wickets and wasn't allowed to bowl, apparently, you know, under Andy Flower's instructions in previous series and that... Mm. If you look at what he produced in that test match, yeah, yeah I mean, full credit to him. I yeah, mean, absolutely. I mean, we talk about Steve Smith going away and reworking on his game. You've got to say the same thing for Finn there. Yeah. yeah. Good on him. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I just I wonder, I just wonder who they'll. So. I just wonder who they'll bring in as the third bowl. Do they go back to Wood? Who, well, can they go back to him? Yeah, because his ankle injury a concern. Yeah. Like, but, I mean, it's just that the, the stage looked a bit too bright for him. Oh. I actually thought he, he. I I actually saw a bit in him. I thought I just I liked the way he kept running in hard. He backed himself. I there was a lot to like about his his general approach. I thought. I mean, you compare it to like the approach of Mitch Stark, for instance. Mm. I thought he showed a fair bit more. So, but I'm not sure what how 
how much of this omission is the ankle injury versus how much it was a, a genuine, you know, selection of Finn over him. Yeah. So I guess we might find out in the next test, yeah. But, I mean, one of the funny things I read this morning was that it's, I think it's the first time in 17 Ashes series that England have won a third test of the mm. series. Yeah, they said uh, that. It was yeah. like Australia no, won it, it was, nine and there were eight draws. The first one since 1981 was what I'd heard. Yeah. But no, because it was which like... Which was the uh, the infamous yeah. in both of match. Don't mention it. Don't yeah. kill there. But it was like, yeah, over the last... I think it was 17 because I think it was something like Australia have won nine of them and there have been eight draws. Yeah. So, you know, even in in 2005, you know, the, the Watershed series, that was the... The one that we drew. Yeah, that was uh, a Ricky yeah, Potter yeah, out on all the day. Last day. Well, except yeah. for the last four overs. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, it's it's impossible to see us coming back and winning the series. What is in our favour, obviously, is that we only need a drawn series to retain the Ashes. So, yeah. if rain has an impact on one of these last two tests, we just need to jag the other one mm. and we'll win the series. Yeah. But yeah, I I don't like our chances. No, right now, certainly uh, the four dollars thirty five is <laughs> looking quite ridiculous. I'd say those odds should basically be swung around the other way. Yeah, well that's right. If you were if you were keen on hedging, you could. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I could jump money. online now and just yeah hedge hedge away. So fingers crossed that uh, Steve Smith can just single handedly bat the entire nation to an Ashes victory yeah. over the next two weeks. Well, yep, Smitty, it's all up to you, so... You are the Dan Man Crush. You are the chosen one. Your time is now. uh, (laughs) It's probably uh, time that we we wrap this baby up. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. Covered some good things. Yeah, a lot of territory covered there. Yeah. We haven't (laughs) abused any ads or... We've no, abused, trying to... uh, we've abused Mitchell Stark, and yeah. quite frankly, he's deserved it. So well, I think that's also because a bit of foreshadowment here. We'll, in a couple of hours' time, our Kalgoorlie correspondent will be joining us for the latest iPod for Hell, and he has he has actually said, "I want to be there in person for your reaction to some of these songs." So, yeah, I think that's why we sort of stuck to the sport side of things for this one, rather than going off into other things that are yes. bothering us because. We're about to have a whole lot of that coming up in the next episode. Yeah. So, until that next episode, for now, I'm saying later, skaters. Later, Hilsen.